Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And today we are reviewing Top Top Gun. Gun. (laughs) Um, It's our 4th of July episode. It is. And we chose Top Gun. We were going to do it as a bonus, but we're really busy this summer. But instead of taking a hiatus completely, we're going to keep just plugging away and doing the show. So this is actually, if you haven't joined us before, this is part of a cycle. So we do a cartoon and then a live action TV and then a movie. So we did Gem and then Fantasy Island, which was yep. last week's episode, and then this week is Top Gun. And we also had a couple bonuses in there as well. We had our big 25th extravaganza. And, which we did The Fifth Element. Yeah. And Father's Day special, which was Rad, the 80s BMX movie. The other BMX movie says BMX band. The banding. only BMX. <laughs> that's how a lot of people feel about it honestly um yeah so you can find top gun on amazon prime to stream and we'll include those links on our blog watch with us and we wanted to do top gun because of two reasons the first is that i have um some memories kind of connected to fourth of july which we'll talk about in our memories section and the second very obviously that the sequels come out. Yeah, and so that so. you can connect it. You can go back, watch Top Gun with us, and then you could go watch the sequel, Maverick, which is in theaters, and then it'll be fresh on your mind. Yeah, and has really good reviews. But we're not going to talk about that or spoil it because um, sometimes we do talk about reboots and sequels and things like that, but this time we're kind of wary because... It's brand new, it's so we don't want to ruin new. it. Yeah, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Yeah, so... Before be- that, we have our snack review. We do indeed have our snack review. Steve's favorite time of the podcast, our non-sponsored snack review. Which is? Freeze Pops. So, yes, we're doing Freezy Pops now. In all truth, I really wanted to do, um, for 4th of July, the bomb popsicles, the red, white, and blue. Mm -hmm. My concern was (laughs) that there is an algorithm that looks at, like, the names of... You were afraid bomb in the podcast would might get us flagged. Yeah, I didn't want to get us flagged. Well, I don't want like like Apple to not you know share our freeze pops are also a summer Fourth of July time favorite. Definitely. Um, for those of you who are trying to figure out or figure, I mean, sometimes you call them different names: icy pops, freeze pops. But these are the the flavored ice treats that come in the clear tubes. You buy them in the grocery store, and they're melted. They're actually the juice, and then you freeze them, and then you eat them. Yeah. The primary company that makes these is called Gelsert, which was a company that started in the 1920s making a gelatin dessert kind of mix that was a play on jello and dessert, so Gelsert. Okay. And they also, in 1929, created the Powder Mix Flavorade, which right. was a competitor, of course, for Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. And lost horrifically, I'm assuming. It, it really did. But the company, so the company was kind of struggling. And then in the 1960s, 
they acquired pop ice and pop ice had started making this frozen ice pop dessert so it's a it is like a popsicle but it's in a tube instead of on a stick and the thing that gel cert did that really helped this take off was that um they left them unfrozen so it was much cheaper to ship them. People could keep them like in, I don't know about your parents, but we always had like a box in our garage and then like part of it would be in the freezer. Okay. Because you don't always have the yeah. freezer space, right? That's true. And they usually came, when you opened up a box of them, they usually came in like sheets. Yeah. you had to detach the tube you wanted. Yeah, exactly. So you could probably put a sheet in the freezer, I guess. I don't know. Ours, we had three We had three boys, and so, and usually had a lot of friends over or neighbors, so they didn't last real long in our freezer. It's interesting, too, because not only is it probably save a lot of money on shipping, but for grocery stores, you know, in the freezer area, there's only limited space. Exactly. But, like, I recall, even recently as an adult, I've walked through the grocery store in the summer, and there'll be, like, an end cap or, like, one of those kiosk, like, middle, like, basically, like, dump bins. Yeah, that's, that's where I got these. just full of them. I got these from a bin. Yeah. That sounds horrible. So it's kind of smart because they get more space. <laughs> Wait, just to be clear, if you're in the U.K., it's not a garbage. It's not a garbage can. That's not how we're, we're talking about bins here. Um, it's like a large uh, circular thing that they, they'll put food into and they'll put it at the yeah. end of an aisle in a grocery yeah, store. Yeah, it's like a clearance container yeah. almost. Yep. Sorry. So Megan's got hers. She's I just finished mine. I, we, we both chose the pink kind, which I... I to be honest, it tasted sugary and it tasted fruity. Yeah. I'm thinking, is this maybe strawberry? Yeah, I I always, I picked the pink because um, I liked, when as a kid, I really liked the pink and the blue the best. Okay. And I think the pink is strawberry as opposed to the darker red, which is cherry. Yeah, this is not cherry, so I'm assuming it's strawberry. Maybe watermelon? It's got a little bit of a lighter... No, it's strawberry. Is it strawberry? Okay. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a lighter flavor, I think, than the cherry. And it was just always my favorite. Um, I didn't I didn't have these too often. They're not... I mean, I just said the strawberry is my favorite, but icy pops or freezy pops are not always my super favorite. Mm. Um, because... <laughs> As you know, this is the same thing as we have when we do like fruit gummies. Like right. we had Gushers the other day. I like sugar combined with dairy. Right. So Jello pudding pops were really my yeah. jam. And I they're discontinued, but I found a really, really good Jello pudding pop recipe. So I'm hoping we can have those oh, nice. in a couple weeks. But yeah. Um, well, I like fruity snacks. We know that from yeah. what we've done so far. And it's interesting because I probably... My childhood, I do remember these quite a bit. We had these a lot. Um, you know, I remember the best thing about freeze pops was you you clip you have to scissor the you know cut the top off with scissors. Yeah. Right, and then you know eat eat it as you push it up. Basically, you cut the inside of your lips all the crap if, <laughs> on the on the on the on the plastic tubing if you don't cut it the right way. Right, but besides that, it was like you see how fast you can eat it, but at the same time, you you kind of want to collect as much juice in the bottom. That's true, and on a hot day, which today is like it's ninety five degrees yeah. out Fahrenheit. So so when it when it when the juice collects in the bottom, you eat all the solid ice that's left, and then you get to drink all the juice. Oh, gross! Which is gross. It's the best part. So now this runs us into a philosophical debate. I don't like that. All right, this is a philosophical debate. If the best part is actually the cold juice, 
wouldn't we be smarter to buy the liquid room temperature ones, put them in the refrigerator to just get the juice cold, no, and then because, just drink the no, tubes? Oh, God, no, because it's not it's not real juice. It's corn syrup and, like, flavoring. I, I said juice with air quotes. I know, but you don't want to drink that. It's, it's like, too much. I don't know. It's always the best part. I but can't. it has to be really cold. I don't understand men in food sometimes, I guess. And I haven't, I talk about it with a passion because, but I haven't had one of these in many, 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 many years. I legitimately, I, I, because they're, they, I, I like them. They're okay. They're Mm -hmm. not my favorite. So I don't think I've had one since I was maybe eight or nine. So immediately, as soon as I started eating this, I have like a flash of uh, my brother and I and some of the neighbor kids in our pool in our backyard all like we'd we'd run like we had um porch on the back yeah our back porch and my mom would hand us all freezy pops and then sometimes you'd eat them on the porch and sometimes you'd try to sneak it and eat it in the pool <laughs> and um and then she'd be like Megan, don't eat that in the pool don't eat food while you're swimming but a lot of times this was a snack while we were swimming because you know i don't know if, if people still have this rule but like you really shouldn't swim like an hour after you eat yeah you're supposed to, you're, it could cause crazy and also yeah. in the hot summer, you don't want like heavy, like food, right? right. So even an, even like a, a Jello pudding pop or a little like ice cream cone from the, um, the ice cream man, ice cream man, even that would be a little much. So these were always like they're like a nice light treat. So yeah. what's what is ultimately we're out of fighter well, fighter jets. Today. I have we're not there yet. Oh, I haven't I haven't eaten one of these in probably 20 years. But you bought these for the podcast and put them in the freezer like a week ago and I've eaten like 5 or 6 <laughs> before the podcast. That's what happened with me in the taffy. Um so yeah, so let's so, rate them. Wait, to, <laughs> to be fair to Steve, when Steve when you ate those, did you know I bought them for the podcast or did you just think that they were for snacks? I just saw them in the freezer. Yeah. But the thing is, I haven't eaten them in a long time, and I just grabbed one and was eating it while I was having TV, and I was like, oh, like maybe I'll have another one of those. <laughs> and then I grabbed another, and I was like, these are pretty good. But my point is, you didn't know they were for the podcast with the taffy, like I knew and forgot. I also didn't know I and liked I... them so much, because I'm an adult, and I could have bought them any time. <laughs> but now they're in the freezer, I was like, these are pretty good. It's, a lot of this <laughs> is, you know, we don't have kids, and so when... We don't buy this kind of stuff. That's why, like, even the fruit gushers, they're still around. They're just nostalgic yeah. to us because we're, like, 40 and haven't eaten yeah. them in 30 it just, years. It just struck me. I'm an adult. <laughs> These are my freeze pops, and nobody can take them from me. You can buy them anytime, <laughs> anytime you want. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, All right. out of jets, out of jet planes. Out of jet planes. So, we always rate the snack one out of five, and we relate it to whatever we're watching. It's Top Gun, so we have to go with jets. One out of five. What are you going to give the Freezy Pops, of which you've already eaten many? Five jets. Okay. I'm actually, I have to say, this didn't just hold up for me. This is better than I remembered. Okay. And it's not a full five, but it, I am going to give it a solid four. Four yeah. jets for Megan. Um, better than I remembered. I, I just haven't had them in so long. I just remember kind of being like, meh. But I would have another one. The Not strawberry right now. one tasted good. Yeah, the strawberry's great. And you can all trust me. I also had a green, a purple, a blue. <laughs> and so they were all good. All right. So. <laughs> four, four and a half, half fighter, fighter jets. jets. 
Four and a half fighter jets for the snack. So let's get into Top Gun. Steve Hall, tell us what it's about. So the brief summary. Top Gun is about a fighter pilot um, whose name is Pete Maverick Mitchell. And we follow him through his career at the beginning um, on an aircraft carrier, as well as with his co-pilot, uh, Goose. And basically the movie follows Maverick mostly as he transfers to Top Gun, which is a school for fighter pilots. It's active fighter pilots who try to be the best of the best. And he's fighting not only his urge to be kind of wild and uncontrollable, but also he has... Um, like his shadow of his father, who was a fighter pilot, um, that he's kind of trying to fill in those shoes um, and also figure out who he is and where he belongs and kind of how he fits in. Um, along the way, we see him compared to a number of the other best pilots um, in the United States Navy, and he has some struggles. He faces tragedy in the midst of the training, and then ends up having to prove himself in a battle situation near the end of the movie. During this whole situation, he has a love interest that he meets and kind of falls for, and so there's a little bit of romance, there's a little bit of, hey, I'm a cool 1980s guy mm -hmm. um, in Tom Cruise, and then there's a little bit of fighter jet action at the same time. And a little bit of tragedy. We are going to spoil the movie, by the way. Yes. <laughs> because we won't spoil the sequel, but we will spoil this one. Yeah, the tragedy of his co-pilot dying. Yes. Um, really changes the tone of the movie. And we'll talk about all those kind of details when we get onto our full review. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. Fun facts and history. The most fascinating thing about this to me that I did not know until we were doing research it's based on an article and i am going to read just a little bit of the article because i think it's it's really well written and i think it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting so fight on says yogi who is the pilot or stick and sits up front roger says possum the radar intercept officer or backseater he's already bent over his radar scoop Pushing, punching buttons and looking for tiny blimps of bogeys. Hotshot instructors from Top Gun, the Navy Fighter Weapons School, flying their deadly little F-5s. With that, Yogi stops jinking, peels off to the right, and pushes the throttle all the way into afterburner. As twin white-hot flames shoot out from the plane's exhaust nozzles, the magnificent silver machine explodes forward, slamming into their backs like a truckload of bricks and hurling them through the sound barrier. Yogi has rehearsed this kill in his mind a dozen times. So good. It is a really, really good article. I highly recommend reading it. I'm going to put it on our blog. I'm going to link it there so if anybody wants to read it, they can. It's really well written. And you can, you know, it's not just like, as you can tell, it's like an essay, yeah. really more than an article. And um, you really do get the sense of the flying and what they're doing up there. And I can see, like, why this inspired them to make this movie, you yes. know? So, um, Tony Scott directed it, and Ridley Scott, his brother, was uh, is also a director and was working on the film Legend. And basically, they approached Tom Cruise, and at the time, this is what Tom Cruise said. They first offered me the film in 1983. I was off in London... And I was really focused on shooting Legend. 
in they so I didn't address Top Gun during that time period. In 1984, Ridley came back to him and said, "You got to meet my brother. He's going to direct this film, Top Gun," and it had all the things I love, including aviation. So in that interim time period between when they offered it to him and when they offered it to him again, they talked to John Travolta, Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, Matthew Broderick, like any big name. At that point in the 80s, <laughs> But yes. also, so I could see any of those people, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, I could see any of those maybe in this part. Michael J. Fox a little bit young still at this time and doesn't quite have that swagger. Who I can't see are the last two names that I have on this list. And the first is Tom Hanks. Okay. Listen. Uh, no, I don't I know. love Tom Hanks, but this is a totally different movie. Yeah. And the second one is Scott Bayo. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Also, I have a hard time Emilio Estevez. Oh, He's I He's got don't. a very small... He has a very young-looking... Yeah, but he know. can play... I've seen him play, like, that, like, arrogant attitude, you know? I don't know. He's kind of small in stature, and I, I mean, so is so Tom, is Tom Cruise, Cruise. Although they tried We're to make him look taller. We're going to get to that later, yeah. But, yeah. So, Tom Cruise, at this point, a lot of people think this was his first movie. It was not. Uh, as, as I mentioned, he had done Legend, also Risky Business, mm-hmm. Endless Love, Taps. So, a number of things yeah. by this point. Um, Val Kilmer, who plays Iceman, had done Real Genius. Anthony Edwards, who plays Goose, had already done Revenge of the Nerds and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. I don't remember him in that movie. In Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. I remember him in Revenge of the Nerds. I'd have to re well, at some point we'll rewatch it. Um Kelly McGillis had done Witness, uh The Accused and The Babe, the Babe Ruth movie. Yep. Um and then Meg Ryan, though, this was her first film. And we just mentioned Scott Bayo, Meg Ryan. I knew that she was in soap operas when I looked her up on IMDb. Yeah. Um, she did several episodes of Charles in Charge. Like, right before this movie, she had a guest in on Charles in Charge for, like, four or five episodes. Oh, interesting. Which I just, I forgot about that show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly McGillis, who does a great job in this, and she, like you said, she was in Witness with Harrison Ford, which was a yeah. phenomenal movie. Yeah. And The Accused, which is the Jodie Foster movie about the sexual assault. Yeah, it was great, too. It's, My thought is in Witness, because she plays an Amish woman. Like, she, it's, it's a very cultural, like, yeah. um, it's a very deep dive as an actress. That's true. To take on, like, you know, something like Amish, which is a completely different culture. And she does a great job in that movie. Yeah, and I just want to make a note here. Steve and I talked about this uh, beforehand. She is not in Maverick. And a lot of people kind of made fun of her uh, for that. She's older than Tom Cruise by five years. She's in her 60s. Yeah. And and people came up to her and like, how come you're not a maverick? And she's like, I'm old and I'm fat. Like, I look like and a 60 And she hasn't been acting woman. in a little while. Well, she does like some smaller things. But like, yeah, I, I, I want to say, you know, listen, Tom Cruise is like a major megastar. A lot of people at that level, I'm not saying that he's had work done, because I don't know. Well, he know. also keeps in but shape say, as an action star. He's got a personal trainer. Star, but also, people of that caliber, they have a personal chef. They yeah. have a personal trainer. Like, if you're 60, it's okay to look 60. Yeah. That's all That's all I'm going to say. And it's okay to be like, also, I think, well, we'll get into this when we talk about the movie. I think that narratively, 
it makes much more sense for her not to be in the sequel because mm-hmm. it seems to me in this film like her story arc concludes in terms of her relationship with yeah. him. But we'll get into that. So, anyway, this movie was made just before green screens. So there were still blue screens, which came before green screens, yep. but th- th- they weren't great. And um, it was really before CGI, although I think around the time of Flight of the Navigator, which had some, but yeah. really, really bottom level, right, um, early. So Tony Scott really wanted the film to be as realistic as possible. All of the effects are practical effects or no effects at all. Yeah, or there are so, cameras in jets that are flying. Yeah, he worked with the US government and the military to use real planes, real equipment. They play, they paid the government about 2 million dollars mm-hmm. to be able to do that including real pilots for some of the shots. And basically what they did is that they had four camera positions with mounts um, that had been developed by the Grumman Aircraft Company. Yes. Um, so they mounted one in the cockpit, a second one under the belly of the plane, um, and then one on either wing. They did some special effects shots with models, um, and we saw some pictures of that when we were doing research, which was interesting. They basically found this place in the desert <laughs> where they could where they could shoot the models. So some of the things like the missiles firing and um, those types of yeah. things. You know, they got a lot of support from the Navy. And what's interesting is when the movie took off, that's a pun. Mm -hmm. Um, When the movie really started to do well, the Navy used it as a recruitment tool. Like there were stories about them like being outside theaters to recruit recruit people. smart. It is smart. And apparently there's been an uptick since Maverick as well. Interesting. Interested in joining the Navy um, as pilots specifically. But Tom Cruise spent time with the pilots in the headquarters at San Diego um, at the Top Gun school. And so did Kelly McGillis. She shadowed this woman, Christine Fox, who worked at the Marine Corps Air Station um, in... Miramar as a civilian employee for the for the Navy. The filmmakers worked in conjunction with the Pentagon. The yes. Pentagon was sort of an advisor on this, um, especially because this was not a this was not a gritty war critique movie that made the military look bad, but it was kind of the opposite. Right. And the, they wanted the Pentagon's help and input on it. And so they brought the Pentagon in, mainly thinking that there was a lot of like fighter jet kind of stuff that the Pentagon would put their input in, and they did. But one of the most interesting things was they had them change the script because mm. Charlie's character, she was a naval officer teaching at the, at the Top Gun Academy, and there was a very strict no frat policy. So they made them make her a civilian oh, teacher. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Which they never would have thought that that would have been input that they had had. They expected it more on the military, you know? So, just to explain, no frat means no fraternization. Meaning that a person could not date a superior officer. Right. So that's why she has to be... A civilian. A civilian working with them, but not exactly in charge. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, We have... Oh, speaking of Kelly McGillis, and you mentioned... The, the smaller stature. Tom Cruise is 5'7". Mm-hmm. Kelly McGillis is 5'10". Oh, that takes so some creative camera work. They had to eventually, for some of the scenes, 
it's interesting because I don't. I think he cares about it now, probably because such a big deal has been made of it. Yeah. But Tom Cruise didn't really seem to care. Who cared were the network executives? They saw some of the footage and they were like, no, we can't have that kind of height difference. So basically, they gave him um, cowboy boots like with lifts in them and a you know a he- the heel on the yep. cowboy boot a little bit bigger and then they had her wear like flats or nothing gotcha um when they were standing you know next to each other at different points so i think that's kind of funny they gave him like a booster seat on his motorcycle um <laughs> that sounds mean but i mean you're not maybe wrong but uh yeah Val Kilmer plays Iceman and um <laughs> they Really did not get along in real life, but apparent at that time. Right now they're cool. Yeah, because he's Iceman. <laughs> it's too many puns. But one of the reasons, I guess, is that Val Kilmer had studied at Juilliard. This was basically his second movie, and he wanted to try like method acting since it was a drama. Yeah. So he was kind of a dick. <laughs> so he thought that what? the best way to method act it would be to really not like Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting now. Because, well, we'll get to that when we we'll get to this when we talk a little bit more about about it about Iceman. But you know, we said Iceman, Maverick, Goose, and the other interesting kind of historical thing is these are all call signs. Well, you could hear that in the article, right? Right, but Yogi pilot, and all pilot that. Pilot call signs came about between World War One and World War Two. Oh, okay. Um, you know, we had airplanes in World War One. They were like biplanes, you know, in that era. But it was really when the innovation of the radio came around. Mm. So when we could radio from ground to pilots or pilot to pilot, that call signs became better than trying to say someone's entire name. And it was also kind of a code name. I was going to ask if it was for code, like so people would know who they were. That's when call signs came about. And it's stuck ever since, right? So pilots, even to this day you know, have call signs. There's a little bit of rules, unspoken rules that go with it. Mm-hmm. First off, a pi- it's it's uncouth for a pilot to make their own call sign. Mm. So your call sign is supposed to be given to you by somebody in your squadron. Like, oh, and it's usually based off, like, you or something about you. Like, Iceman, they said he was called that because he was cool. as like, he never folded right. under pressure. And Goose is supposed to be Mother Goose. Right. Which they do call him the full name. Because yes. he's, like, taking care he's of the guys. He's taking care. And, in Maverick, yeah. in Maverick, because he's kind of a, he's like a hot shot. He's like, yeah. you know, doesn't play by the rules kind which, of guy. Which is the name of the parody, by the way. Yeah. We didn't talk about that. Hot shot, but yeah. I forgot. I, that was the other thing while watching this. There was a scene that I expected and then I was like that's not in this movie that's in Hot Shots with Charlie Sheen who is the brother of Emilio Estevez funnily enough right and Um, I mean you've got Tom Skerritt's character who's Viper right right and you have Cougar Merlin there's a lot of interesting ones so I went to a website where you can have a call sign made for you oh nice what is your call sign and I put us both in okay and I am now Razor I dig it and you're Teacup aww teacup so <laughs> that's adorable so that's our little call sign history and, and activity and i'm ra- well, razor like razor's edge okay and so i know but it's just funny to me yeah so so teacup tell us some more well <laughs> now okay i have one more fun fact and i have one more uh kind of more serious one and that's what we'll leave on before okay. we break so the more the one fun fact is that a lot of people 
And I want to really get into this when we talk about the details of this movie, um, because I think it's shot in a very specific way to cater to different audiences. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people talk about how there are a number of homoerotic scenes in this movie, including (laughs) very famously the volleyball scene. Right. And some people were not happy that apparently Maverick doesn't have a volleyball scene. (laughs) But... um, they, Tom Cruise said in an interview, this was in 1986. Now, I think sometimes Tom Cruise is a little kooky, mm-hmm. and he can kind of get defensive, but here's what he said. First of all, it's a very, it's very important scene. He said, first of all, it shows that the fighter pilot's physical prowess is very important. Plus, the scene shows the constant competition between these guys, how they compete on every level. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with him in terms of characterization. You, you're trying to show this isn't just about in the air. These are all top-level flyers who are all majorly competitive, and now they're competing against the best of the best, yeah. right? Um, and then also that their physical prowess is important, <laughs> which... We will get into it, but he's playing in jeans, which just cracks me up. Yeah, everyone else has got sweatpants and shorts on, and Tom Cruise is wearing jeans. Yeah, it's a choice. And beach volleyball. (laughs) And beach volleyball, yeah. So, a little bit of a a sadder note. This film is dedicated to Art Scholl, and I saw that at the end, and I looked him up. So, Art Scholl was actually a fighter pilot who who died during the, the shooting of this film. At age 54. Oh, wow. Yeah. This, this is something that isn't talked about as much. You know, they, there was a tragedy with Alec Baldwin recently mm-hmm. where the prop gun. And there have been other movies where people are killed. I never knew that this was one of them. But he was in an S2 camera plane and he went into a flat spin. He could not revert. And basically the... the um, the plane nosedived. His last words over the jet radio were, I have a problem, I have a real problem. They tried to rescue him, tried to find him. They never recovered his body or the plane. Oh, boy. He was over the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different. You know, in the movie, the they're in the Indian Ocean, yeah. which, yeah. Um, and the, the those are things that happen both in the movie and real life, and I hate to end that way, but... Um, yeah, the film is dedicated to him, which I think is a, a nice um, nod to the work that he did as a flyer and as a cameraman. We will pause here, and when we come back, we'll talk about our memories of Top Gun, which are going to be super fun. Mm. And then we'll get into our full review and recap. This podcast is supported by its creators. And listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Steve. I'm Megan. Megan, what are your memories, if any, of Top Gun? Okay, listen. 
I have very specific memories of this movie because I had a friend in elementary school whose name is Christine. I don't think she listens to this, but if she is, hello, I miss you. Um, she was my best friend in elementary school. And then we kind of like, you know, as people do, you kind of grow apart. Um, but her, her parents, they had cable at their house, right? So they would tape movies and they had HBO. So I think I saw this in like 1987, like pretty close to after it came out because Christine saw it. She was like, you have to watch this movie because there's this guy and he's so cute. <laughs> and so I went over to her house. I would never have been allowed to watch this movie at home, by the way. But I don't know if we had a sleepover or if it was just like after school one day because she lived pretty close by. Um, but we watched this movie and I remember a couple of things that number one, she wasn't wrong. He has a little glint in his eye and a little smirk, and I do like that. Um, I do like a little somebody with a little bit of sass, and I think baby face guys appeal to young girls more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, same reason Justin Bieber has a career, yep. or very early New Kids on the Block, right? But the other thing was that, okay, for younger Megan especially, there's a lot of flying in this movie. And you know how I feel about a chase scene. Mm. <laughs> so it didn't... But these are dog fights. Yeah, but I... Yeah, so if I remember correctly, I think that we fast-forwarded a lot of the flying, which, by the way, is horrible because that's... Uh, the plot also takes place. It's not just like they're flying around. Right. There is plot going on in character development and all of that. Um, I did not remember the beginning scenes of the movie before they went to Top Gun School. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I ever saw those, ever, because I haven't watched this movie probably since, again, like, Freezy Pops, maybe 10, 11. This is one of those things that um, I never owned a copy of it, just for whatever reason. We never, you know, because of my brother's age, a lot of times when we went to Blockbuster, we had to find things that both of us liked. Yeah. He would have been way too young for this movie. And when it first came out, especially. He would have been two or three years old. Yeah. Right. But I mean, even later on when we're going to Blockbuster, like if I'm in like sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. And by that point. I don't know that I would have wanted to watch it again. So really, I really haven't seen this movie since elementary school. I think maybe fifth grade, maybe sixth is the last time I saw it. Okay. And even when it was on, like, TBS all the time, mm -hmm. this isn't a movie where you can, like, catch snippets of it because it doesn't make sense. If, right. you, if you come in in the middle of, like, Animal House, it's just funny, right? Yeah. If you come in, in the middle of this movie, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I think it's interesting, like, very early, um, he was a little too old for Tiger Beat, but I think definitely appealed to young women and I want to talk about that with, with how it was filmed, like I said, with the volleyball scene and a few other key scenes. Mm -hmm. So, how about you? Well, yeah, I remember I saw this in theaters. Um, and now I would have been nine, eight or nine, mm -hmm. probably. Um, I saw it in theaters. I liked it a lot, of course, because a little a young boy, I mean, this is like right up their alley, right? Um, and then I also, we had, we had very early HBO. Uh-huh. And so this went into HBO, and I probably saw it a number of times on HBO. Yeah. Right? So, which would have still been within the same year, basically. Um, and this kind of spurred on. I had, like, an obsession as a young kid with, like, airplanes and jets. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know if it, I think it was around the same time. Top Gun may have kind of spurred that, um, or at least helped with it. Kind of like Jurassic Park with dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I really got into to airplanes and to jets. And, and, and even in, like, I recall when I was in fourth or fifth grade, they had, like, a science fair, but it was, like, a science-slash-history fair where you did projects. And I did a whole project on, like, um, all of the different planes in World War II. Oh, interesting. And I drew them all up. And, I mean, it was very, it was elaborate. Um, in all the different countries, what they looked like, bombers, fire planes, all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of all geared by this movie and movies like it. Which is one of the reasons that they had recruiters, because it, it did affect so many people on that level. My other thing that I was going to say as you were talking, I forgot to mention this, but I kind of hinted at it at the beginning. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to choose this for 4th of July is that a number of years... Um, so we live in New York state. Geneseo is where my parents went to school. It's kind of in the middle of the state. Mm -hmm. And my aunt, um, and her at the time boyfriend, but later husband, they were going to Geneseo as well. And he's a pilot, um, not for his job. (laughs) He took flight lessons and has a pilot license. And so he was really into planes and we started going to the Geneseo air show Um, which is a huge event every year. They still have it even this year. We've got other stuff going on this year, but Mm. I'd like to go maybe another year. But all of these planes come um, and they, you know, these professional pilots and they do like formations. They have like colored trails. Like the Blue Angels and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it just was really cool as a kid and especially again, like you're saying, tying into this movie, which I saw around that same time of like, oh, that's in the air. That's what they're doing. They're doing what they did in this movie, right? Of like flying really close together and going apart and and flipping over and doing spins and formations and all that cool stuff. So um, then the planes would land and then they'd have the big fireworks show. So it's just a really neat memory, and um, I'm I was really excited to revisit this movie. Really excited. So let's get into it. All right. So the the opening scenes, the opening section of Top Gun starts off with um, Maverick and Goose being stationed on an aircraft carrier. It's actually the USS Enterprise. <laughs> Um, which was one of the flagships of the U.S. Navy for a long time. The Enterprise, so that wasn't intentional? No, just... the Enterprise was one of the first supercarriers. It's one of the first nuclear-powered carriers. But did they name it after the... Poss- no, they did not. Because it was from 1960. The USS Enterprise came into... It was christened in 1960, and it was decommissioned in 2017. Wow! Yeah. So it lasted a long time. It lasted a long time. It was one of the first nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. So is that what they named... The Enterprise is possible Trek after it's possible because it because Rod, Roddenberry didn't he did utilize a lot of naval yeah. information interesting um yeah and so that but that that is the USS Enterprise that they're on um which is awesome and then uh, they also are in the Indian Ocean yes and they're scrambled to um, fly a mission to go out and. Uh, and fly around basically and check things out and i think it's a rescue mission basically they scramble a few flight a few planes maverick and goose are one of them there's also a guy named cougar 
mm-hmm. and Merlin, who are another flight team, um, and they come across some enemy planes. From Russia. Well, no. This is the key, actually. And it was part of the, Pen- the Pentagon being connected with them. Mm-hmm. They never, in the entire movie, say who the enemy is. It's and the paint, implied. And the, the paint scheme on the planes are done in a way that it's actually no countries. Mm. And when I did research into this, they actually said that initially, before they were told, like, don't make it a country because mm-hmm. of the Cold War. Right. Right? It was actually supposed to be North Korea because they're in the Indian Ocean as well. Well, that also makes sense. Which is another communist country at the yeah. time. And the, the paint scheme is black with a red star, which could be any communist countries, basically, is really what they were going for. But... But, no, because later when he talks about flipping the bird, he says that it was to the Russians, didn't he? No, he says it was to the MiG. And a lot of different countries used yeah. a MiG. Uh, mainly it was Russians, but because the com- because Russia fed armament to a lot of communist countries, um, they, def- they specifically never name who the enemy is. Interesting. So what were some of your high points, low points for this first opening scene? Sequence? Well, the first high point has to be the... The unspoken cast member, Kenny Law, which is no the <laughs> F eight or the F fourteen Tomcat. No, I was going to talk about Highway to the Danger Zone. No, the F fourteen Tomcat, which is the jet that Tom Cruise is flying. Yeah. Okay, it's the naval jet. Um, this was the premier fighter jet of the seventies, eighties, and even into the nineties. The Grumman Aero, Grumman Aero Company created the F fourteen Tomcat. Uh, is a carrier-capable supersonic twin-engine double-seated fighter, which basically, after Vietnam, the the U.S. military decided they needed planes that could travel distances, but also could dogfight well. Mm. So they had very they they would maneuver really well. Okay. And so th- there was basically an open competition to a number of of companies to come up with a plane that would do that. And Grumman sort of won with the F-14 Tomcat. They're it, also the company that made the cameras, probably for in-flight exercises. Because they would have mounted things. it in their own, yeah, com- because exactly. they created it. And so this plane has a lot of maneuverability. It's also interesting because it's one of the variable sweep wing fighters, which if you watch the movie, the wings move on this plane. Oh, yeah. Which I makes it more maneuverable. It can right. stop quicker. It can adjust. And, it, and for long distances, when not in a dogfight... The, the wings can close up more, mm-hmm. and the afterburners kick in, and it goes to, in the movie, they call it supersonic, mm. which it goes to a top speed of two point fo- Mach 2.4, which is two and a half times the speed of sound. But the razors I buy you are Mach 5. Well, they're faster. <laughs> that's why I don't use them anymore. The Gillette. That's but, why I have a but beard. But that's your call sign yes. now. No, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. My two highlights were that, um, number one, almost every song in this movie is gold. Mm-hmm. And we open up with Highway to the Danger Zone, Kenny Loggins. And I know we're going to get into reception. I know a different song won awards. I don't know why this song didn't win awards because immediately, like the whole tone of the movie is set. With yeah. that song. Um, the second thing is that the actor who plays the commander here 
also was Strickland in Back to the Future. Yeah, and he was. James Tolkien. Yep. James he was the Tolkien. principal, right? Yep. Strickland yep. the principal in Back to the Future. And I was like, where do I know that guy from? I was like, oh, he, <laughs> it's Strickland. I think, um, so he was great. He's basically the same character in this. A yes. very angry, <laughs> very angry um, head of, you know, educating these yeah. guys basically but um my real highlight here in terms of in terms of the the story i really liked the way that they showed cougar wrestling with um the problems that he faces in the air yeah that the bogey the other um the the unknown enemy <laughs> apparently yeah but the unknown enemy's plane comes up on him and it freaks him out because probably up to this point they've just kind of been flying around up here and now it's kind of like almost even though there isn't a war it's almost like being in war for the first time yeah the mig-28s which are the bad guy planes they they call them mig-28s yeah um they mentioned they've never been seen before like that close they've been maybe right. far away pictures but because it's the cold war we're trying to avoid contact as much as possible so what's interesting is you see maverick's overconfidence you do you see though that he's like we're not leaving him behind because cougar runs out of fuel almost right? yeah almost we're not leaving him behind so he does have loyalty mm -hmm. but you also get that there are stakes here Yes. And that even though it's not active wartime, when they go to the school, it is about the hyper competitiveness of being at the school and trying to win the Top Gun Award or yep. whatever. But there are real stakes. And when you're in the air, things can go wrong. Um, mm -hmm. If they, you know, the, the co-pilot is freaking out because he's now stuck in a plane with this guy who's gone tharn, as they say, yeah. um, in... Whatever that one is with the rabbits. Well, you know, it's interesting because these pilots are all hot shots. They all think they're the you know baddest guy in the block. You know, guys, people like Maverick who are all you know they think they're the best and they could just you know take on the world. But they're all untested. Right. This is the mid '80s, so Vietnam has been over since they were children. None of them have actually fought real enemies. Right. And yeah. that's why I think Cougar collapses psychologically because. They don't get into a dogfight with these. They basically lock weapons on them, which kind of scares them off. Yes. Basically saying we could fire on you. But if all it would have taken is one plane from either side to fire, and they would have had a real issue there. Yeah, and then they have this thing where they're showing Cougar looking at like picture of his wife and kid. Yeah. and And then he's looking up. But you really do, you feel, you feel that tension. Yeah. And and I think that that's kind of interesting. So this kicks them off into going to Top Gun school. Yeah. Uh, because Cougar was supposed to go. And he's now not no longer flying. Right. He turns in yeah. his wings and that kind of thing. So Maverick and Goose go. Um, and they are flight team. We mentioned it before. Maverick's the pilot. Goose actually is not a pilot. Goose is actually um, the radar. Uh, it's... Uh, the radar intercept. Radar like, intercept officer, or RIO, which they called them. Just like they had in the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so he, and this was specific to some planes, but specifically to the F-14 Tomcat, which had a two seats, right? So his job was to sit behind and watch radar, see what was coming up on them because they traveled so fast. 
Right. Right? And, and, and give them basically another set of eyes. So we get to the flight school. We kind of have... They meet a few people, but they haven't actually taken classes yet. Nope. And before they do that, they go to a bar. Oh, I forgot to mention in memories, I have been to that bar. Okay. It's in San Diego, and I went to a conference in San Diego a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and the bar is very small, but they have signs up all over. Like, this is where they shot Top Gun. So my yeah. friend and I from at the conference, we were like, well... We got to go in the bar, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was the middle of the day and no one was there. But they have pictures of like Top Gun, the movie and yep. everything all over. So it's kind of it's kind of cute. But at any rate, um, they go to the bar and they um, are trying to pick up some chicks. And then they sing You've Lost That Love and Feeling to Charlie. Yep. They don't have a met her yet. Tom Cruise just kind of eyes her right. and decides that that was going to be his target. And then they have some flirty banter, and that closes out the scene. I well, have... You missed a big part, because I, she blows him off and goes over and sits at a table with a friend of hers, right? Yes. And that guy is the real Viper. What? So Tom Skerritt plays the commander who's Viper. Oh, the real Viper was a consultant on this movie, and he was the guy that she sits in the booth with. I missed that in my fun facts and my, <laughs> in my research. I didn't know that's such a cool detail. Um, so at any rate, this scene, okay, I have two things to say about this scene. First of all, the target-rich environment is nauseating. They walk in, and he's like, it's a target-rich environment. No. I don't like that. I don't like you looking at women like targets. And they have a $20 bet for, quote, kernel knowledge. I don't care for that either. But it's really, it's a one-sided bet. Because Goose is married and he's not actually looking. It's really Tom Cruise is looking. So let's get into this. This is what I find the most interesting about this film. Mm -hmm. Besides the fact that it was based on an article. Um, The most interesting about this film is that the setup so i've mentioned on this before the male gaze and i haven't really gone into detail but basically that means that it's a story told from a male perspective Mm -hmm. right so the whole setup of this movie is a male gaze movie it is men in the army they go into a bar they're looking for women um eventually that's the chase and the conquest of the woman is like the goal Right. I don't necessarily mean like sleeping with her, but getting winning the girl. That's the goal. And the second goal is winning the Top Gun prize. Right. Mm -hmm. So being the best in your field and um, showing prowess in military might and also in your profession and also winning the woman. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very male driven story. The camera work, even though it's done by a man is set up for a female gaze. So what I mean by that is when there is a love scene with Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis in any other male driven movie, the camera stays on the the woman shows Mm -hmm. like her chest shows her figure. The camera does not do that in this movie. It stays on Tom Cruise and his face and his chest and his abs. Like same thing in this when it's, it's him wooing her and doing this song, but the camera work isn't her as, even though she's his object, Tom Cruise is the camera's object. Yeah. And same thing with the volleyball scene. 
Yep. And so what's fascinating to me is that I think that's one of the reasons why um, that volleyball scene is called out as being strange because for a lot of men, they're used to seeing women portrayed that way. So I think what they did with this film very deliberately, they were like, we want this to be a huge summer blockbuster. If we make it from fully a male gaze perspective, it, only guys are going to see it, right? Yep. So you have this star who's like a cutie patootie and has like a little smile that never reaches his eyes. <laughs> but you have him who has a little smirk and who's really cute and the camera lingers on him and objectifies his body for women, but yes. for men, you have all the fighters. To, so yeah. it's just fascinating to me how this movie was done. Okay, second thing. Um, the singing is so off-key. And I remember this as, like, they sing this song to her of You've Lost That Love and Feeling, and they woo her. They sound like... <laughs> they sound like drunk guys at a bar. <laughs> I mean, I just... Re I thought that they were really on-key and really great, and they are not. Okay, They're so really bad. I from the time I was fifteen until my early twenties, I was spent your move? every summer working in a summer camp. Okay, uh, myself and my friend Spinner, which was his call sign. Okay, and yours uh, was Kermit. Yes, there it is. Um, we this was our move. We sang this a number of times. I sang this to a girl who would become my high school girlfriend this. at this camp. Um, I sang it to her. Sometimes we would just choose someone we kind of wanted to honor. And in the middle of the dining hall at dinner, we would break out into You've Lost That Loving Feeling. That's hilarious. And we would do the whole intro that they do. Boom. Where they're like, excuse me, and then they go into it. Yeah. Yes. Word for word, oh we would do goodness. this. This was the move. So, the sad part is, if you had done that, it would have worked. So I, it so, would have worked. And we do, you've heard me sing. I do not sing no, on key. No, you don't. So <laughs> this was great, but I, the fat Tom Cruise doing it with, to be honest, Anthony Edwards, I think, does a great job in this movie. I really like um, him better than Tom Cruise. You know, Cruise, he's actually. been in a lot of things. You mentioned some of the stuff he'd been in. Anthony Edwards, to, I was going to say, to me, in my childhood and teenage years, Anthony Edwards will always be Dr. Green from ER. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And what I actually put in my notes is that um, Tom Cruise, we didn't mention this, but she turns him down and goes and sits with apparently the real Viper. Yep. And then she goes into the women's room and he follows her into the women's room. Now, I have to say, you know, she was in the movie Accused, but 1986, a little bit That's of a kind different of creepy. time. <laughs> From an adult lens and yeah. not a child's lens, as a kid, I was like, oh, he loves her and he's following her. They're going to flirt. <laughs> Maybe kiss. No. From an adult woman's perspective, I, I, I'm grabbing my cell phone and calling the police. Yeah. Like, get out of the women's room. And she room. doesn't find it romantic. He comes in and starts talking to her and she goes, what did you think was going to happen? Like, you were going to follow me in here and we were going to do it on the tile? <laughs> Yeah. And he reaches over and touches the counter and kind of tests the strength and goes, this will do just fine. Yeah, no, Hello? red flag Are you number like, two. Yeah, red flag number two. <laughs> um, if I were her, I would have been like, well, first off, Shorty, can you reach the counter? No. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. Yeah, it's interesting to me that she kind of goes for him, even though she's very clear that she says, like, I see hotshots like you all the time. This is a flight yeah. school. Like, every... Every like sixteen weeks, there's another group of yeah. Hot well, shots. she blows him off even that that night. 
Yeah. It's the next day when they start classes, they first, they meet Tom Skerritt, who again we've we've we we I mentioned a little earlier. He plays Commander Mike Viper Metcalf, mm-hmm. who's in charge of the Top Gun School. Um, he's a veteran of the Vietnam War. He served with um, he served with Maverick's dad in Vietnam. Right. Okay, but. Tom Skerritt, also a phenomenal actor. Yeah, he's, he's in one great. of my favorite movies ever, A River Runs Through It. He plays the dad, who's a reverend. Is he um, Picket? Hang on. He's see. also the sheriff in Picket Fences, yes. which is phenomenal. Him uh, and, and Lauren Holly, and it, it, I will. He just I loved him in those in those movies, um, and he's been in a lot of them. He's still in movies, um, and he just does a great job. And also Michael Ironside, who's Lieutenant Commander Rick Jester. Heatherly, mm-hmm. and he's kind of the guy who tests them in, in during their flights. Right. So we go into this whole section after they come back from the bar. Now they're in the actual flight mm-hmm. school. So we have, as Steve just mentioned, Jester. I can never say that word yep. right. Michael Ironside, Jester. who I will always remember from. I don't know. Starship Troopers. Yeah, Michael Ironside is always a name that I recognize, but I think because he's a character actor, I very rarely recognize, like, his face. So, at any rate, we come out of the bar, now they're at school, we have Jester, we have Viper. It's like a a debrief breakdown. Well, they... They, they have a couple of scenes where they debrief them and other scenes where they're doing, like, the actual They're actually running exercises. through flights, yeah. Yeah. Um, the first debrief, they also introduce Charlie, which is when he realizes, oh, crap, I was hitting on my instructor. Yeah, and he tries to hide his... And she catches from the discussion that he's this guy who's seen a, M- a MiG-28. Right. And she's like, oh, you're that guy. Now she's hot for him because yeah. he saw a plane. Loa. Like, now he's not just a hotshot pilot. He's a hotshot pilot who saw an enemy plane that no one else has seen before. So, I have to tell you, I have had this happen as as an instructor. You got hot for a guy that saw a plane? No, that somebody hit on me and was in my class. And then did exactly what he does, which is hide his face and looked embarrassed. And then um, was not in my class a second day. Like he switched to somebody else, which was the right call. Yeah. I also had somebody ask me out in class in front of everyone else in class. This was before I was married to Steve. And were you like, this is kindergarten? No. (laughs) No, I'm a college professor, Steve. No, what I said was, um, thanks so much. I don't want that story to end with, and that's how Megan got fired. Yeah. <laughs> and then the kids, the kids' friends were like, "You just asked out the teacher. What is wrong with you?" And I was like, "Now I don't have to say anything. Yeah. Your friends have done it for you." But it is a super awkward situation, and I've never reacted like she did, which is to say, "Oh, let's go yeah. talk privately about planes." No. <laughs> no. So, so this whole middle section of the movie is really two subplots. Yes. One is the is the Top Gun school and the planes and everything and the uh, the mock war. And then the other is the romantic subplot. Yes. So which do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the school. Okay. Because I thought what was really interesting here is, first of all, Val Kilmer's character is not as much of a jerk as I remember. I really thought, first of all, he doesn't have as large of a role as I remembered either. Yep. So his role is smaller, but he seems to be like, I think as you would if you had somebody like Maverick, he's annoyed. 
Yeah. So they have this scene where they go after. So the the instructors are, are the bogies, and they're yep. trying to to do these flight exercises. And Jester comes up, and he's the bogey, and Maverick and Goose get him. But to get him, they go under the ten thousand foot. Um, what you the, have to be higher what up they call in the a air. flight deck, yeah. Right. So you, you have you, to be, you can't go below a certain amount. And that is they say it's for safety reasons. Yep. You have to be flying above so many feet for mm-hmm. safety. And it's a nice little um foreshadowing that safety is important. Yes. We've already seen with Cougar and we're going to see again where safety comes into play. But I could see like Mavericks called Maverick for a reason. Right. And I could see being like Iceman and being like, I'm also good, but I don't break the rules. Just we're not in actual combat. Yeah. I I remember this movie and I remember Val Kilmer being Iceman. I remember him being like, in my memory was this guy. He's kind of the bad, the foil. He's a jerk. He's like all arrogant. And then we're watching it and they're like, this is Iceman. He always stays cool. And he always, he always is textbook. He follows the rules to the letter. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like this guy, like. Like, Tom Cruise is an idiot. Like, this guy's actually doing the right thing. Exactly. And he, every time he gets mad at Maverick, it's because Maverick is not following the rules and he's putting people in jeopardy. And having said that, they they talk about there's a scene that where kind of the romance and the school cross over. Yeah. And they're doing the debrief and Charlie's like, that was the wrong move to make. You should have done X, Y, and Z. And he says, you have to fly by your instincts. And when you're up in the air, you have to make choices. Now, I will say, I think that's part of the confidence. You do have to make choices up in the air. And especially, I'm sorry, but she's a civilian who's never been in combat. Right. And so, in a sense, he is correct that if you're in a real combat situation, you have to go by your gut, and sometimes that saves you. If you're not, sometimes that gets yeah. you in trouble. They also fly past the air tower, though, and it is also dangerous. They buzz the tower. But it's hilarious. Yes. It's hilarious. Yeah, but the other thing is, too, is you, you have to make gut instinct choices in the heat of battle, but they also have to be instinct choices that are going to keep everyone safe on, right. your, on your side. Right. And Michael Ironside is Jester after flying with them the first time when he shoots them, when they, when they shoot Jester, but it doesn't count because it's below the deck. Right. right. Jester's talking to Viper in the office and says, you know, he's very skilled and he's one of the best pilots I've ever seen, but I don't know that I would fly with him because he's very, he, you, he's unreliable. And you, you have to have safety up there. Um, my notes, seriously, though, don't date your students. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what I, so do you want to talk about the romance? No, well, let's finish this off. So it goes through basically a number of these, um, dog fights, these, these, you know, war game type dog fights through top school. And every time they do it, they're being timed. Yes. Um, and it leads up to one of the last ones that they are, um, Iceman and, um, his, Iceman and his, uh, RIO, Mm -hmm. uh, Slider, and... Uh, Maverick and Goose are together as a team, and they're going up against Viper and Jester. And so, and they're both of them are very close. Iceman and Maverick are both very close in points. Okay. Right. Well, they come in, and Iceman's in front, and Maverick's got his wing. He's behind him, and Iceman has to take the shot, and he keeps not taking the shot. Well, part of it is because you get more points the longer you go before the kill. Oh. Uh. 
So he keeps saying, give me another 10 seconds, give me another 15 seconds, and Maverick keeps saying, take the shot or move out of the way so I can take the shot because I've got him locked too. And it's at that point he holds off too much. Finally he breaks, and when he does, that's when the Maverick's jet gets caught in the jet wash, okay, and it stalls. This is actually one of the downsides in real life of the F-14 Tomcat. Mm. It's sometimes because of its dual engine capability. Mm-hmm. It sometimes had the um, if it, in jet wash and different other areas. It sometimes would stall out, right? Which could, especially in, in high tense situations, which could make an issue. They solved that problem later with it, but it was a real life problem, and it stalls out, goes into a spin, and when he ejects, Goose hits the canopy, and right. it kills him. Yes. Um, and that's kind of what ends his Top Gun academic kind of career. Right. I like the way you worded that, that that kind of ends, even though he goes back and we'll talk about the end piece, that mm-hmm. kind of does end his career at the flight school. Right. For all intents and purposes. So let's back up and we'll talk about the romance piece okay. during this section. The other plot. Ooh la la. <laughs> um, there we go. Um, first, I think that part of the. She's laid down. Good. Okay, hang on a minute. First, I think that a, a big part of the romance does come into play with Goose's wife and kid, played by Meg Ryan. Yeah. You mentioned Meg Ryan. This is her first film. She actually is... This is the other thing that I guess we talk about holding up or memories. I remembered her being in more of this film. She's only in like three scenes. Yeah, I did too. It's interesting because I guess because she became such a big star later Yeah, that um, we kind of... I don't know how to put it. We kind of... Um, associate her with being a bigger part of this movie well it's very similar to how when we did flight of the navigator how i felt about sarah jessica parker that because she's such a big star in my brain like my childhood lens like she was a big part of this movie and she really isn't she's young she's beautiful and it's interesting because they don't shoot her as a sex symbol but as a young mom with a toddler and she's just she's she's portrayed as cute yeah, you know, but so, but also, Goose isn't a sex symbol either. That's true, right? Yeah. He's the family man, right? And yeah. so they really complement each other very well. And I love Goose. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Yes, I love it. It's such a cute line. Um, and uh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Um, but the other the other piece that I think is interesting about the love story, you know, we talked about he's chasing her and all of that. This is also a time. So we're after the second wave of feminism in the 70s. And in the 80s, a lot of women were like going back to work and going into the workplace. And many times now they're the boss or they're the person in charge. So you have this interesting dynamic where it's not like she's Tom Skerritt's character. Right. But she is a woman in a position of power. And to me, I liked that because um, she's not a dumb 
like, I don't want to use this word, but I don't know. She's not a dumb bimbo in a bar that he's just picked up randomly. No, she's right? a strategist. She's actually the brains of the whole yeah. operation. And she has a degree in physics, so yeah. she understands planes. So they do have a lot in common, and the chemistry is really great between the two of them. And there's a number of spots where it's not even like she's just, she's really smart, and she's there, but she's all doe-eyed. Like, there's a lot of places where she critiques his flying and, and his, you know, the fact that he's a great flyer, but he makes sometimes risky stupid mistakes yeah, she even says to him at one point after the debriefing where she had told him that he did the wrong thing and it wasn't textbook right mm -hmm. she says i didn't want to say in there that i do think that you're a great pilot because i don't want people to think i'm falling for you but my assessment of you wasn't wrong yeah right and they what i also love they talk about him being reckless and he's like f you and then he drives recklessly on his motorcycle away yeah then she drives after out. him recklessly yeah, they're both driving recklessly but i think that um it's an interesting power dynamic and i think it really worked yeah. it really worked well um i also love the scene where the four of them are all together, like on a double date. Mm -hmm. So after um, we have the love scene where the camera lingers on Tom Cruise instead of on Kelly McGillis. Yes. Um, and it's all in blue, which mm -hmm. was really weird. It's like they wanted like dim blue yeah. light. But anyway. It's interesting too, and this is one thing I did like, is the first time he goes to her house for like their first kind of date... He shows up and they talk a little bit, but then he he they don't hook up. Uh-uh. He's like, I'm going to go take a shower. And she's like, ooh. And he leaves to go take a shower. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's a power play. He also, but, uh, they're in an elevator at one point and you think they're going to do something there. And he just like winks at her and leaves again. Yeah. So he's kind of playing with that power dynamic to take some of the power back mm -hmm. since she's like more in a power, a position of authority. Yes. But at any rate, we have the love scene. I did laugh at it. <laughs> Steve looked at me and I'm like, oh, it's so cheesy. And looking at it as an adult, I'm like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. And the Take My Breath Away song by Berlin is Take playing. Take My Breath Away. Oh, it's just. Dun, dun. <laughs> no, I'd rather. Dun, dun. Let's put Highway to the Danger Zone back on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, but it's like. It's it's very like delicately like following him and his like mouth open as he like kisses her and oh no no I can't <laughs> I can't deal with it. Um, I also think I'm gonna be honest here. You know, part of this is part of this show is does it hold up, and we know a lot more about Tom Cruise now, right? Yeah. So I look at Tom Cruise totally differently than I did when I was 11, 12, 13. Yeah. And um. It, he 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 does kind of creep me out a little bit. I just have to be honest. He creeps me out a little bit. Yeah, little this was bit. this was before he was into Scientology. No, and, he and was already. I think he had started because his first wife, Mimi Rogers, is the one that introduced him to Scientology. Okay, and I believe he married her in '85, but it would have been very early on. Yeah, but even so, um, and I love. Sometime we'll revisit Far and Away, a movie that was just my absolute favorite. But even in that, um. There is something always a little artificial or plastic. There, there, there are actors who um, I get more like they can drop being an actor and they can mm -hmm. just be real. I never get that from him. Like he's always got layers. 
Yeah. I don't know if that's a self-protection. I mean, it could be because that's how Hollywood, like, will rip you apart that's if you true. don't. Yep. But um, at any rate, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that love scene, it's so 80s cheesy. Yeah. Um, but so after that, then they're kind of dating. They're on, like, the down low, but they're kind of dating. And they have this scene with the four of them with Meg Ryan, Anthony Edwards, Kelly McGillis, and Tom Cruise all together on a date and anthony edwards they do this scene where i don't know if he's actually playing the piano great balls of fire is a hard song to play yeah <clears throat> um but they're they're playing and singing great balls of fire and that's where i feel like the romance is kind of solidified because you could see this being a unit Yes. Right? Like that, a family. Yeah. And he even says to Goose that at a different point, you're the only family I ever had. Yeah. I actually think that the bromance between Maverick and Goose is even more important than the romance that Maverick has with Charlie. Right. Um, and that, to me, so what happens, in my opinion, is that after Goose's death, he cannot be with Charlie. Yeah, he wasn't wanting anything to do with anything. But I don't even mean... I mean after, when the movie closes. Yeah. I don't because this is what he pictured yeah. of like they're both married, they both have families, this is and the And you like, think she's a reminder of what he's lost well, now as well. And also that he's a different person at the end. Yeah. He really is. He ch and, and that's his character arc and he changes. Mm -hmm. But I think that he's become somebody who um, can't be with her. Yeah. That that was kind of my read on it, even though, well, we'll get we'll get so, into so it. So we've met, we've gotten to a point where these two subplots meet, right. which is the death of Goose, right? Right. And he he doesn't he's he's basically avoiding Charlie. Yes. Right. We have the funeral Goose's funeral. He's avoiding Charlie. Um, he's basically quits Top Gun school. He does, or he basically tells them he's not flying anymore. Right. right. And then he packs up Goose's stuff and he brings it to Meg Ryan, who's like in this room, yeah. and hands it to her. And kind of they hug and kind of cry together. And she says to him, you know, if it had been you, Goose would keep flying. Because he, he loved she, flying with you. She said, he loved flying with you and he would have kept flying. He would have hated it, but he would have kept flying. Yeah. And she gives him back the dog tags. Yes. Um, which he later throws in the ocean. Like, it's yeah, like I, Titanic I, with the lady um, with the necklace. I was like, Steve and I were like, maybe his kid would want the dog yeah. tags. But he basically has to struggle then with going back to the flight school. He starts flying, but he's not taking shots at anybody. He's basically just flying and doing the textbook, but he's never taking a shot. And he's never... So in his heart, he's kind of giving he's up. He's not... Yeah, he's not... He's not being who he was before and it's just um he's 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 kind of, it's almost the pendulum has swung completely opposite direction he's yes. taking no chances he's doing no engagement exactly and we have then what is interesting is that we break from this to then have a scene with um tom scarrett's character viper yeah he goes to, to viper's house um to basically seek counsel because Tom Skerritt is almost a father figure. I mean, you've got Maverick, who never knew his dad. His dad died when he was very young in Vietnam. And now you've got Tom Skerritt, who's like the dad of the Top Gun school, yeah. you know, to give him. And it's when he walks into his house and he's in his office and he's in like his home den 
um, waiting for Tom Skerritt to come in, that he sees the pictures and he sees a picture of Tom Skerritt and his dad. Well, the whole point of the scene is that he gets closure on the death of his father. Right. And Tom Skerritt explains to him, you know, we're not supposed to talk about this, but here's what happened. Um, your your old man basically stayed in it and saved three three lives instead of getting out. Yeah, so they were in a dog fight. They were in a fight and he saved other people and then he tells him, you have two choices. You can quit or you can go back out and just get enough points to graduate. Like, at this point, you're not going to be the top. But yeah. you can finish and you can graduate and you don't have to necessarily be number one, yeah. right? Well, it's the day before the graduation and he says you have enough points already. Oh, like, you're sorry. not going to win the competition. Right. But you have enough points that you can walk tomorrow and graduate or you can just quit. I really liked... So this was a, a real highlight for me because I did feel at this point like the romance was done. Charlie's driving him around places, but her her role and her function in his story has kind of ended at this mm-hmm. juncture. And he needed a mentor to come back in and help him. Yeah. And I liked that it wasn't her because her... Their dynamic, she's not like a mothering type of girlfriend. No. Right? That he needed somebody. And he also, the death of Goose is really intricate, intimately tied to the death of his dad. Yeah. These are two people who he was, that that's his family. Right? Yep. And Tom Skerritt is kind of saying like, I'm kind of like you. Like, your dad was my friend. Mm-hmm. And at different points, he's been very callous about it. Where he's like... People die up there all the time. That's war. Move on. Yeah. And here he's like, I get that he was your best friend and I get that this affected you. So you have to kind of make a choice of what you're going to do. Um, so. So he shows up to the graduation. He doesn't actually, he's not part of the whole ceremony, but he is there in his dress uniform. And he does graduate. He does graduate. He does. And he actually, he does the classy thing and he go, he congratulates Iceman who won. And he should have. Yes. Right? He, he congratulates Iceman and Slider who won uh, the Top Gun. Um, and Iceman says thanks. Like, they're they're cordial. It's not like either of them is a and jerk to each other. And they fall in love. And, no, it's, and, and it's in the midst of this celebration that Viper comes in and says, we just got orders. Some of you are needed right away. So what I did find funny about the graduation is that Iceman and Maverick make up. But again, the camera work... They come in for a hug, and it legitimately does look for a minute like they're going to do a little kissing. <laughs> their, their faces are very close together. Um, anyway, right. We have an, inc- an incident in the Indian Ocean, and we need, you know, and he reads them out, and it's Iceman, Slider, and then he says, and, and Maverick. Mm-hmm. He says, and Maverick, you'll get, a, you'll get an RIO when you arrive on the carrier. So we're back to the Indian Ocean. We get this final scene where they're in another dogfight, and he he's able to do it. He has well, some struggles. But there's he, some struggles, yeah. He, and there's a few things I like about this. Go ahead. You know, this is this is why I was thinking about this earlier. This is a rescue mission. They have a boat mm-hmm. that's kind of in the middle of territories and has had an emergency explosion. So they're sending, like, a rescue helicopter, but... The, the jets are to, to provide cover so enemies don't come in, right? And so they send up, actually, they send up Iceman and Slider and then another jet to go, and Maverick is on deck. Like, if they need extra support, they're going to send him. It's with the MiG-28s, which are a fantasy plane. 
Okay. That no one actually talks about this, right? There's no such thing as a MiG-28. There are United States F-5s that have been painted black to obscure the country of origin, which oh, we okay. talked about they don't have one. Jet and airplane obsessies would have caught this and realized it because all of the actual real-life MiG airplanes are all odd numbers. Mm. So they're like MiG-27s or MiG-25s, not a 28. And that was kind of the telltale that this is a made-up fictitious plane. Right. I like the fact that it's Maverick and he gets his RIO and it's Merlin, who's played by Tim Robbins, who is from the beginning, who was with Cougar. Yes. So you have you have a pilot and, and a co-pilot who've both lost their partners. That's And they've true. paired them up and I like that. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think of it that way before. I also liked that when he's really struggling... You think for a minute he might be like Cougar, and so does Tim and Robbins. And Merlin's like, oh crap, they put me with yeah. another guy that's going to lose it. Um, but he, he holds on to the dog tags, and he's like, tell me what to do, Goose. Yeah. And then he yeah. he's able to do it. So I really liked that. Um, and that's kind of the climax of the film. We have like that whole um, character arc, and he's... He's a better flyer for what's happened. He's no longer writing, his ego's no longer writing checks his body can't cash. Right. He kind of saves Iceman. You know, Iceman is like, you can be my wingman any day. And then he says, or you can be mine. And you, or you can be mine, wingman, yeah. every day. Yeah. So they still have a little bit of a competitiveness. Um, but the important thing is that the, the character's journey has kind of come to a close now he's a little more serious he has confidence but he's not cocky he's not overly confident right right and um then we have a scene that we did not need so he chooses to go back to top gun to be an instructor and which... charlie is going to washington and charlie he runs into at a bar mm-hmm and it's like, oh, hey. And I'm like, as you mentioned, like, I don't think there's a future for them. No, I would really have liked it. And they kiss, but it's not the climax of the film. They don't need that scene at all. What I would have liked much more is if before going to the Indian Ocean, she says that she's going to Washington. Yeah. They really should have kind of kissed and said their goodbyes then. Yeah. Because what happens is he throws the dog tags into the Indian Ocean Sorry, Goose's kids. Sorry, Goose, yeah. Um, and and kind of in that way lets go of the guilt, though, right? That's the symbolism there. Mm -hmm. And then he, if he had gone back to the flight school and then he was with Tom Skerritt and he was like, I want to teach them what I've learned. Like, that to me would have made way more sense. Yeah. Nobody cares or, about your stupid... Or even, I would have think, I think a better... Here's us as writers, obviously. A better ending would have been if he didn't throw the dog tags in the Indian Ocean. He returns to Top Gun to be a teacher, and it shows him, like, show up at, like, Goose's house and give them back to Meg Ryan and the kid. And then they fall in love. No, not that. Which is, but which at least it's happened. like a circle, yes. right? Yes. So. Tom Cruise and Meg Ryan fall in love. <laughs> so that's the end no. of Top Gun. Anyway... So, the That's reception. The Top Gun. Okay, what's the reception? Um, so, Top Gun was released May 16th of 86. It was a summer release. Um, upon its release, it, re it received mixed reviews. Um, from critics, especially, which we'll talk about. Um, four weeks after the release, the number of theaters showing it increased by 45%. Oh. Um, and despite some of the critics' reactions, the film was a huge hit. It grossed $357 million at the box office against its $15 million production budget. Yeah. So it's a huge hit. 
it like is. we talked before, I think that a hit is normally if you make three times, I think, the production cost. Mm-hmm. This was way more than that. Yeah, way, way more. It's surprising to me it took so long for a sequel, but it really isn't structured for a sequel. It's really structured to be like one guy's journey through this. Yeah, and it maintained popularity throughout the years. In 2013, it had an IMAX re-release. Mm. Um, because IMAX was big yeah, at that, that point, and cool. that's an IMAX movie, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, also, we see that... Uh, um, it was one of it became one of the most popular soundtracks. Yeah. Right, we every talked, song is great. We talked about this. Um, its soundtrack reached nine times platinum. Mm. All right, the film won both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for "Take My Breath Away," performed by Berlin. Which is interesting because, from what I understand, Berlin really does different music and this was like not in their typical genre and right. the people wanted more of this and they were like that's kind of they're like that's do. not what we do yeah um in 2015 the united states library of congress selected the film for preservation in the national film registry find really? yep finding it culturally historically or aesthetically significant interesting um a sequel of course as we talked about right now was just released 36 years after the original a lot of times, so it's interesting to me about the the film archives because a lot of times those are more like slower, artier films. Yeah. And this is more like a summer popcorn block, but you know. And so the critics we talked about, Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 56%. What? Yep. Based Shut on up. 71 critics um, with an average rating of four, 5.9 out of 10. Mm. Um. So the the website's critical consensus states, though it features some of the most memorable and electrifying aerial footage shot with an expert eye for action, Top Gun offers too little for non-adolescent viewers to chew on when its characters aren't in the air. Huh. Um, Metacritic weighed at 50 out of 100, so basically like mid-range, right? Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah. Um, gave the film two and a half out of four stars. Really? Saying, movies like Top Gun are hard to review because the good parts are so good and the bad parts are so relentless. Well, that's interesting. You know, it's it's fascinating to me that it didn't win for cinematography. Yeah, and he said, Roger Ebert continued and said, the dogfights are absolutely the best since Clint Eastwood's electrifying aerial scenes in Firefox. But look out for the scenes where people talk to one another. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then American film critic Pauline Kael said, When McGillis is off screen, the movie is a shiny homoerotic commercial. The pilots strut around the locker room, towels hanging precariously from their waists. It's as if masculinity has been redefined as how young man looks with his clothes half off. And as if narcissism is what a warrior is all about. Jeez. Uh, in 2008, the film was ranked 455th on Empire's 500 Greatest Films. Um, and Yahoo once said Top Gun was number 19 of their greatest action films of all time. So while you were look at, while you were doing that, I, I looked up real quick. Out of Africa won for cinematography. Look, I think that that's, it's beautiful and there are wide-sweeping shots. But film editing... 
cinematography. This movie had cameras on planes. You know how hard moving th- at two times the speed of sound. Do you know how hard <laughs> that is to edit though? Yeah. Legitimately, I'm very surprised that it didn't it didn't win something for that because this happens a lot of times with the Academy Awards. You know, Out of Africa is a more arty film, right? Yeah. But um and and sometimes those get play over kind of a cheesy <laughs> what what seems before goose's death to be a romantic comedy right yeah um or a a dramedy at the very least because i think there are some dramatic moments and some comedic moments so 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 that's what the critics thought so what do we think what do we think well i will tell you my i did have some disappointment that meg ryan didn't have a bigger role and that Val Kilmer didn't have a bigger role. I kind of was surprised about that. I think that Tom Cruise is a star. I don't necessarily think he's the best actor. I think Kelly McGillis in this movie had star power. I don't think she's the best actress. Mm-hmm. I think you can see that some of the supporting characters, Anthony Edwards, Meg Ryan, that they are better in terms of the acting department. But the cinematography is great. The directing is great the um the the soundtrack come on the soundtrack is wonderful it's classic songs berlin kenny Loggins, top gun theme song we have some amazing shots at like sunrise sunset that are apparently i didn't say this in the fun facts but cost millions of dollars to do (laughs) um and tom cruise is charming kelly mcgillis has great chemistry with him Um, I do, like I said, I like some of the supporting actors better, but I think that it's an interesting character arc in the, there, I think there's an interesting character arc in the movie. More importantly, I actually enjoy this more as an adult than I did as a kid. Yeah. As a kid, I was watching this and being like, uh, the, the fighter jets are flying again. I don't really understand what's going on, probably because we were fast forwarding it. Um, and I was like, he's cute, I guess, whatever. Um, but yeah, as a movie and as a whole, I really did enjoy this. So I'm going to give it eight. Okay. Eight fighter jets for Megan. So for me, um, does this take my breath away or does it lead me on a highway to the danger zone? Mm. Well, I mean, it has fighter jet dog fights. It is a buddy story. Mm. Um, it has Meg Ryan, who's a cutie. Um, Tom Skerritt has a phenomenal cast. Um, there are some downsides to it or some areas where, yeah, it could be a little different or, or move a little quicker, but all in all, I I think it it takes some of my breath. So I'm going to give it an eight as well. Oh, okay. We are even Stevens. Yeah. So. Eight Eight fighter jets. jets out of 10. Yes. Eight out of 10 fighter jets for Top Gun and... Four and a half out of five for our Freezy Pop Nostalgic Snack. Yeah. So um, that's our review for Top Gun coming next. Classic cartoon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heroes in a Half Shell. We're going to start our cycle all over again. And what we've got coming up. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap because the new one's coming out soon and we wanted to get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be an interesting. And then Steve had chosen a long time ago for his summer pick, 
Field of Dreams. Yes. And Ray Liotta, the star of Field of Dreams, just passed away. So True. it'll be a nice tribute to Ray Liotta. I think that'll be a fun revisit. So now it's time for my favorite part. What is Steve willing to watch? Ugh. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is coming up. Um, I want to watch the pilot Turtle Tracks because it sets up the lore of the yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Yeah, I think we Ninja have Turtles. to, yep. So here are your choices. Are you ready? Yes. Season 2, Episode 12, The Catwoman from Channel 6. April gets in a freak accident that transforms her into a cat person. Okay. Irma seeks out the turtles for help. I love cartoon descriptions. It's my favorite. Season four, episode six, four turtles and a baby. Like three men and a baby. Okay. With turtles. The turtles are entrusted with safeguarding the infant daughter of two neutrinos after Krang declares war on the planet. Okay. Season seven, episode seven, the Irish jig is up. While the gang explores Dublin, Shredder, Rocksteady, and Bebop use Krang's latest invention to turn all the cuddly critters in Ireland into terrifying beasts. Okay. So this one I picked because we had a similar one for Transformers. Mm -hmm. Season 7, Episode 9, Lost Queen of Atlantis. While in Greece, April and Irma buy a mysterious amulet. It seems like in season seven they traveled because they went to Ireland and then, and then Greece. Greece huh? And yeah. also there was one in Denmark. Yeah. Um, season 10, episode seven, The Day the Earth Disappeared. Lord Drag opens up a giant portal large enough to pull the Earth into Dimension X. While trying to stop it, some of the turtles are pulled through. Okay. So we have Catwoman. We have a baby, we have Ireland, we have Atlantis, or at least Greece, and then we have a portal into Dimension X. Which one would you like? I'm going to go with Ireland. Okay, the Irish jig is up. I think that'll be neat because we'll be watching one from season one and one from season seven. I think so, so too. A while after they had kind of um, established themselves. Yep. So that's coming up next, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and our snack will be, of course... Totino's Pizza Rolls. Totino's Pizza Rolls. Because you have to have pizza when you're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja You have to. Um, that's it for us. Once again, I'm Megan. And I'm Steve Razor. And I'm Megan Teacup. There you go. <laughs> right. Now we have our call signs. Now we have our call signs. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening.